Empire of the Sun. Suns. Empire of the Suns. Wet like on book. Wet like on book. Wet like on book. Arizona Sports presents the Empire of the Suns podcast. Empire of the Suns. Welcome to the Empire of the Suns podcast. My name is Kellen Olson, joined as always by Kevin Zerman. Hello, Kevin. Hi. How's uh, How's Kevin Durant in basketball? It turns out he, he's all right. Pretty great. Yeah, a pretty great first impression that guy leaves. Uh, not bad. We are recording about an hour after the Suns beat the Hornets 105-91 on Wednesday evening. Kevin Durant made his Phoenix Suns debut he had 23 points, six rebounds, two assists, two blocks, was 10 of 15 from the field in 27 minutes. He was on a minutes restriction. We are uh, going to talk about primarily him. We will get to some of the rotation stuff, some of the uh, the two other games that took place. And then, of course, Kevin, a very noteworthy and newsworthy update desk of the Western Conference. There's a lot going on in the last week that we got to get to, but... We start, of course, with Kevin Durant. Uh, hey, you watched that game, uh, Mr. Zimmerman. What do you think of the other Kevin? Yeah, I mean, honestly, I don't think I was super surprised about anything. Um, the The first thing that really stood out is just watching him as part of this team was him next to DA. I thought on both ends, just um, on defense, when the Hornets, for some reason, they kept doing pick and rolls and putting those two guys in it. And just like, we're like, oh, what do I do? There are arms everywhere. And then on the other end, um, when he and DA would pick and roll, there was just, I don't know. I don't think I was mentally prepared for the size, even though we talked about it and talked about the defensive possibilities. And I know um, Nikias, I, I think he was there. Yeah, he was. If I'm not mistaken. And yeah, and he asked a good question about, uh, to Monty about, the defense and what the Suns can do with DA and Kevin Durant. So I think that really stood out just kind of on tape, seeing that length on the floor, but offensively on, honestly, like not a whole lot stood out to me as far as being surprising, I guess. It wasn't surprising per se, but I thought this was a good game to showcase how easily he can create offense by himself he doesn't even need a ball screen but he can self-sustain an offense and can self-stabilize like some guys can come in and like self-stabilize an offense right but he can self-sustain it and the big number that i found was that there was 12 minutes and 15 seconds of the game when durant was in the floor and devin booker was resting this was at the start of the second quarter and the start of the fourth quarter in those 12 minutes and change, the Suns were plus 12. That does not normally happen when Devin Booker rests. And Durant had 16 points in those 12 minutes. He was 7 of 9 from the field. I think that however Monty chooses to stagger the minutes, what is going to wind up happening is that whenever Booker rests, they're just going to have these options out there that weren't really possible for them offensively, like whether it's Paul and Aiden being out there, whether it's KD and someone else being out there. We didn't even really get to see the full rotation. But to watch, uh, you can go right now <clears throat> to ArizonaSports.com, and I at least clipped the fourth quarter in my recap of just the shots that he was getting. 
and you can watch all four of the shots that he hit in the fourth quarter when it was a couple choppy minutes for the Suns offense with mostly the reserves out there. Charlotte got within six. It was getting kind of weird for a second. And then you can watch these four shots as I'm watching them right now. And I don't know what you're supposed to do besides like triple team him. Like, I don't, I don't know what you're supposed to do. Yeah. Yeah. The, the crazy thing is like, it's the Hornets. They just lost LaMelo. Um, they have, I think been playing pretty good defense and it felt like one of those games where you should be like, Oh, like the Suns aren't in it. They're not like super locked in, whatever, but it never, I guess it got what within six or something, but it never felt like, Oh no, like they actually might lose it because Kevin Durant kind of had a little stretch where he just hit a couple of shots and the bench minutes and just kept them at a safe enough distance where it never really felt bad, even though it really should have. So again, Hornets, whatever. Um, I, I think the staggering is really important to talk about because it's just a completely different dynamic. And to me, it's, I don't know if it's good or bad, but <laughs> it's kind of like, it's like the Kings game where the stars all played really well, where it actually does take away from the bench, right? Like, you look at no one scored in double digits other than DA, Book, and Durant. Um, Chris Paul wasn't really on. A lot of the guys didn't really have a rhythm or a chance to gain rhythm. And I think that's going to be a big thing for me is like, who's going to be able to, on a given night, just find a rhythm without taking a bunch of shots and then decide, okay, I, I'm going to I'm gonna have a little oomph today. I don't know if they have those dudes. They're going to have to figure that out quickly, obviously, but... The plus side of all this is Monty stretched the rotation really long and book uh, Paul DA and Okogi got 33 minutes book scored 37 and 33 minutes. Kevin Durant scored 23 and 27 minutes. So I don't know if it's a right now thing. It probably is, but at the very least you see how, like books 37 didn't feel like 37 because KD was on the floor part of that time. I know he hit a lot of tough shots, but it's just a completely different dynamic than before where it doesn't feel like it's straining the starters as much. Um, even though they're scoring more, if that makes sense, they scored 105 points while only hitting nine threes. They had four players with more than two field goals. And one of the, one of them was Tory Craig with three uh, Devin Booker had 15, Kevin Durant had 10, DeAndre Ayton had 7. A really good DA game, I thought. I thought that he yeah. was very, I have a job, I have a role, I'm going to do the job, I'm going to do the role. I thought that was very impressive showing from him. I know Charlotte is one of those games where people are going to kind of roll their eyes, but the schedule presents a lot of opportunity here. Chicago has not been a good team this year, but I was surprised when I looked at this. I got to be honest. Again, we're honest on this podcast. Haven't caught much uh, Bulls basketball this year ever since Dale and Terry was uh, just brutally put to the bench, Kevin. Like, you have to get a look every now and then. Your season's going nowhere, for goodness sake. Uh, They've been a top 10 defensive team this year, so I'm excited to see how the offense looks there. We know Dallas has been awful, but there's some stuff there. Oklahoma City has been one of the better defensive teams in the league the last two months. Sacramento has not. Golden State has not, but then Milwaukee has as well. And of course, sprinkled in there, like those are five teams in a row that are four teams in a row, sorry, that are in the mix in the Western Conference. And then Milwaukee, who looks like the favorites right now. 
before we get a hard, decent look at what the Suns look like with Durant. One thing here, and I'm I'm saying this out loud to hold myself to it. I'm going to write part of what I'm going to write tomorrow ahead of Sunday is how much Durant can potentially change the. I think this is like the more aggressive, like first take talking head way of saying it, Kevin, but like labeling the Mavericks, their their boogeyman, basically, with how everything yeah. has looked since game seven. And I wonder how much both Kyrie and Katie change that formula, if we're going to see that at all. But this game made me think of it again, because we're, we're hardly going to talk about Devin Booker on this episode. You mentioned his line. He had 37, 6, and 7. He had been okay in his six games back. He averaged 23 points. He was shooting 45 from the field. I think only like 22 or 23 from three. But other than that, he was okay, but certainly not first-team All-NBA guard. So you can come out here in a game that was primarily, not even primarily, was just about Kevin Durant. It's going to be one of the most highest rated Suns regular season games, like probably in a very long time, I would assume. Like everyone was watching for Kevin Durant. I wrote in my recap, like I know you, you person reading this, you were just watching Kevin Durant on the floor for long stages. Like you weren't looking at where the ball was or whatever. You were just watching Durant and that sort of pressure and everything that comes with being a superstar that it has for him for 15 years now just opens things up for guys like Devin Booker. And I do wonder to a more grander sense if like things like that against Dallas, he can kind of take that on um, himself. But uh, to go back to the game, I uh, David and I shot DMs back really back and forth for a quick second because he wasn't able to watch it live. And he just asked me my impression, my first impressions. And I was like, he was really impressive. Uh, I do wonder how much of how many, like, in terms of if you scale it on a 1 to 10 scale, uh, Mr. Zerman, I'm going to s- start calling you Mr. Zerman, I've decided, with this whole Kevin thing. I think calling <laughs> right. him KD is a lot easier, but I guess it's going to be Mr. Zerman now. I don't know. I've done that, like, three times now. Uh, I've said, like, I I guess with, like, 20 games left, I have to say 1 to 10 scale, 10 being their offense looks like it did at the end of the finals run where it just had layer upon layer upon layer, and then defensively, of course, they were the best defensive team in the league as well in terms of what their potential can be and what they reach in terms of the complexities and terminology coverages, not terminology, but just the advancements that they can develop with Durant. I I would guess maybe a seven or or, or seven or an eight. They're not going to be able to get to a nine or a 10. I just don't think they have enough time and watching the game specifically. They ran some stuff for him for sure, but a lot of it was outside of him and a lot of it was like, uh, there were a few where it was just pinned down DeAndre elbow and he got the ball. Yeah. And I think that I'm saying this in a way not to say that my outlook on the team has changed. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying it as a way to temper my own expectations and temper anyone else's expectations because I was the one after all who wrote this two part mega preview of him playing and talked about how layered and how detailed a lot of their stuff is going to be. It is going to be that for six weeks, but just seeing him even after like three weeks of being in practice and the Suns knowing he's coming and especially in the last week and a half, sort of getting him in in everything. I, I do think that we can't expect the world from them in terms of that one specific thing. And even then he doesn't he doesn't need it, Kevin. That's the that's the cool part about it. Yeah, I mean I think just not again, not watching very many Charlotte Horns games. Steve Clifford's a good defensive coach and they're playing hard. 
they they know KD is KD, obviously, and all that stuff. Um, the Suns made things look really easy, running really simple stuff today. And I know that's like game one, whatever. But even if you get into like an advancement on your scale, whatever you would say, Monty Williams, when they started like the Ricky Rubio year, how that offense worked, like even if they get there, like day one, they're going to be in a really good spot. Cause like you, you kind of hit it on looking at Katie's stuff on the nets. It wasn't, I mean, we know the guy doesn't need super advanced stuff just to get a shot off. So that, that's the biggest thing. I Mikkel, think it doesn't matter. Mikel endorsed me without knowing he endorsed me. He told the story on old man and the three with JJ Redick about how he was talking with Jock Vaughn, his new head coach and was like, Hey man, when we run elbow, we do all this crazy stuff and we don't just run a pin down. <laughs> and I was and like, that's hey. what they did. The, like, first, they did that. That was like the first Durant shot, right? That he, he missed. Yeah. But, that's yeah. what I mean. Like they were just doing pin downs in this game too, which is to be expected again, but I'm just wondering how much more they can add within six weeks. Like there was one play uh, actually go ahead and finish your point. Cause I'll, I'll get on to the other parts later. Yeah. I think my point was pretty finished. It's just, I don't know how much it matters because the offense it looked a little different, honestly, but it wasn't – it was more basic, I guess, to say, but it wasn't bad-looking. And obviously, you look at the percentages, you look at how easily – like, they did only hit 105, but I, I think the offense was operating at a pretty high level. And again, I think maybe the only drop-off was the bench guys were kind of out of rhythm. There's a really good stretch in their schedule. I know we just mentioned it, but uh, I'm reading their whole schedule again. This is what I normally do on the podcast anyway. But after Milwaukee, they play Orlando. But then after that, it is OKC, LA, Sacramento, Philly, Utah, Minnesota, Denver, OKC. And then, I mean, San Antonio is a down game. But then after that, Denver, Los Angeles, LA, it's a really tough schedule. But at the same time, it's exactly what they need. And their schedule specifically, they're done with homestands. They only have two straight home games the rest of the year in terms of like a streak of consecutive games in a row that are at home. It's just two. Uh, they like spend a game here, spend a game there. Like they're they're flying around. They have a three-game road trip left. But other than that, there's some stretches where it's one and one, two. They're kind of all over the place. But to kind of end on what I wrote about and like the new dimensions that were showcased offensively, obviously his pull-up jumper and just that instant source of offense, if you weren't ready for that for whatever reason, you kind of saw... You got to see it firsthand and just how easy it is for him to score on his own. Uh, something that I was going to mention there is that we did see one sort of version of a play that uh, I at least noticed, and maybe there were a couple more I didn't notice, but they ran this play where Durant set a back screen for Booker coming sprinting down the floor at the top of the key, and Chris followed the ball on the left wing. Booker runs down doesn't get the ball, just kind of runs through, whatever. Durant then comes over to the left side of the floor, sets a screen for Chris Paul, empty side pick and roll, something I wrote about last week. They run the play for Durant to post up, but then all of a sudden, Devin Booker comes running around two screens on the other side of the floor, has a three on the wing where no one's within 10 feet of him. <laughs> it's just, yeah. there's just going to be some plays they run in some once I, I think the seven to eight out of 10 point that I'm making is they are going to have it to a point where you have to make choices. And that's, going to be when the offense really gets cooking is when they are consistently forcing choices beyond ball screen isolation, elbow pin down, like things like that. Like they're going to, 
They're going to start to figure that out more. This was a really fun game to watch defensively. I think if you had to look at either side of the floor, I would say defensively was the one that caught my eye more. He talked about defense feeding his offense. We saw that in one of the first possessions of the game. He switches on to a center. You remember how many times we had to see Jay Crowder or Cam Johnson try and hang on a switch on a center under the basket and how it was pretty mixed results. It would go better than you would expect, but at the same time, the help had to come over, all that stuff. Like Kevin Durant doesn't need help when he's defending Mark Williams. He blocks the yeah. shot, hits a three, running down. But then to your point, Kevin, and something we should rehash here before we get to the rotations and kind of go away from just Kevin Durant, so many possessions where you just see how big this team is. I think it was Durag, uh, Durag Hoops who tweeted, this team's just ginormous now. They're so big. And they had some lineups out there where it was Aiton, Durant, and Warren. Like those are... Those are two pretty big forwards. And then DeAndre, obviously, it speaks for itself as a center. And they were doing a lot more aggressive things defensively, Kevin. They weren't doing it all the time consistently, but there were some occasional game uh, moments and possessions where they were flashing, showing, whatever you want to call it, where the ball screen came in the center instead of staying in a drop where the Sun Center normally does. He came up, and then who would creep over under the basket but Kevin Durant there to be the rim protector wall? DeAndre and, and Okogi or whoever are pressuring the ball handler. Like, will they mix in blitzes? Will they mix in traps? Like, we've basically never seen that. And when we have, it's gone pretty horribly wrong. But that's what Durant changes for them. And yeah. I go I go back to your point again, Kevin, and to stop talking now, they're just a, such a bigger basketball team now. And I think that actually does matter a lot more than we thought it would. Like, seeing it on the floor, I was like, oh, my gosh, they're huge. Yeah. And, like, okay, one thing, Durant rotations on the weak side, you you did see him dip into the paint when his dude's way over on the other side. He can do that because he's seven feet tall and he's agile. Um, I, I know Mikel was long, but that's kind of a, a different even length. Um, but when you talk about whether it's him and Aiton um, – and whether Craig or Akogi's on there, because Akogi might be six four, I don't know how tall he actually is, but he has a wingspan. Um, basically, any ball sp- ball screen you run with a wing, which is again in the NBA, we talk about wings are important. Obviously, um, the Suns are going to be in a good spot, and like, yeah, books books solid. He's solid on defense, and I will. I, I did want to mention like. On Mikel's podcast with JJ Redick, he did say, like, talking about his, like, mindset about how weird it was because he felt so good about the Suns. He did mention, like, Chris Paul was playing better defense before they left. And so when you kind of combine all of that, where the backcourt is not bad, I know they carry a lot and Chris Paul is old or whatever, but they're, they're not in bad shape defensively at least with the starting lineup now once you get into the bench there are a lot of questions and we can go into terrence ross tj warren area to talk about discussions to talk about in a sec but uh, yeah it just the the length again is just what stood out to me yeah i feel like if if tory can get back to the defender that he was two seasons ago i think that defensively as a team they could wind up being the way i described it with mike and sam when i was on their deal for a few minutes is that it's a trade you look at on paper and you're like, okay, net negative, like it's a net positive 
overall for a million different reasons. But when you look at the sides of the floor, you're like, all right, you take a little bit of a hit defensively, but you're going to be unstoppable offensively. And I'm not sure if it's just this like net negative on defense. Now I w I wasn't sure, like sure of it coming into the game to be clear, but I, thought there, but now the, Josh, think, the, the Kogi pickup in the off season suddenly like just looks completely different. Like, Holy crap. That was a good move. I, I think I, kept spending the game so josh akogi started by the way and this is where we'll get into the rotation choices and stuff he was the fifth starter and i remember david and i dming during the akogi thing because we were talking a lot about how when the kevin durant thing traded got traded we were just dming him like man like i just like who who would be mikhail i don't i don't know if they're, they're gonna do it without mikhail and then when they signed akogi we were like is that feasible like akogi is a fifth starter and we were talking about it way back in July. So it was just crazy to kind of see the Durant Kogi pairing together because it was something that was such a hypothetical idea beforehand. He obviously helps a lot with uh, the on ball defense. We'll see a lot more against like teams like Chicago and stuff. Like in this game, the primary matchup for KD was Gordon Hayward. Like there's just going to be teams where you have to face someone who is somewhat of a threat on the ball. Like Durant and Booker are going to pick up those guys. Chicago coming up, for example. I'm not sure if they're fully healthy. Let me check their box score tonight. Yeah, DeRozan and Levine both played the other night. So it's like, is Devin Booker going to guard Zach Levine? I think that's probably going to be the matchup. By the way, Levine had 41 on 20 shots. My goodness. Good, <laughs> Good for him. Uh, defensively, the rotations. We don't know uh, because Terrence Ross, uh, right toe soreness and... As we've learned with Landry Shamit's sore right foot, uh, we don't really know what soreness means these days. So I want to sit there and say it sounds like a day-to-day thing, but I don't know. So we'll just have to wait and see and hopefully get more information to come out of that. That came down this morning uh, before the game, before shoot-around for the game, I should say. So we don't exactly know about the rotations. I wrote a really long spiel that I would recommend people to uh, go out and seek because I just thought about pretty much everything with the rotations and tried to sort of address everything possible before we actually got to see what it looked like. And basically what it comes down to, Kevin, is the starting five. We know what it is now. We know Tory Craig is the first wing off the bench for now, at least I should say. We know that campaign is the first point guard. He's the guard off the bench. And then we know Terrence Ross is the de facto like sixth man for this team. Like Tory Craig, wing defender, campaign, ball handler, and then Terrence Ross, sixth man, um, offensive role, scoring, shooting, and so on. A fair bit of that probably has to do, Kevin, with how they got him to come here instead of Dallas, I would assume. He was he was promised some sort of role to an extent. And the Milwaukee game, the Suns lost on Sunday in Milwaukee. A uh, myriad of opinions on that game, Kevin. I thought that it was a pretty good effort by the Suns and that they just like came up short against an excellent team that's won 16 straight now after tonight. And a lot of people thought that was a horrible loss. Uh, a lot of people were really upset about the way that that game ended and how the Suns weren't able to pick up the win in the end. I'm not really sure. I know why, but I was, I was surprised by uh, that type of reaction inside that game. Uh, after I thought Terrence Ross uh, in the OKC game, I was watching him a lot being there. It looked like he was doing his job defensively. He was talking a ton. He was really trying to communicate. He was engaged. His energy was there. He had the thing where like a half second to a second, he was in the wrong spot and had to move. But 
That's to be expected. New system. More of that on Sunday against Milwaukee, but then they started picking on him and it got ugly in a hurry defensively. And and that's where the questions start to begin up and down the rotation. Speaking to the frustration on Sunday, a lot of fans were acting like if TJ Warren uh, was playing, we would find the cure to cancer. Uh, <laughs> Darius Baisley was in there as well. He was in the mix. I, I think that Ish has been someone who's taken a lot of slander the last week. He does his job defensively is where Monty wants him to be, plays defense the way Monty wants them to. I think it kind of came down to that. TJ did play tonight. He played 13 minutes. Ish was the second wing off the bench, but then TJ would come in about six minutes later for Ish. Ish only got like really two four-minute halves of action, and that was essentially it. Uh, so we we got a little. We've gotten like enough of a decent uh, impression now, Kevin, of what their depth looks like and what their rotation looks like. Do you have any impressions from anything that I sort? Do you have any thoughts? Really. Um, definitive thoughts because I, as you can tell by the way I'm talking about all this, like I, I need like ten more games to see this. Like yeah. I, I can't, I can't say anything either way. Yeah, I think Monty, and I think this is good. Monty's in like a feeling out phase, and he's to the point of what he said about Greg Popovich telling him just trust the process. Like he he played Jock Landio. I don't think Jock Landio played well at all tonight, but he kept playing him to see what it looks like. Um, I think that's good. I think he should let his dudes play through stuff. Um, so, okay, I'll go by person. Terrence Ross, I think I have issues. He's like, I guess Austin Rivers is the guy I think of where he plays hard on defense, but like teams just target him. It doesn't matter how hard he tries. Um, he's going to get fouls called on him for bad reasons. He's going to just get tough jumpers hit over him and it's going to look bad. There are just some guys with that energy, I guess. Um, and it's not like anything that they're really doing that does that, but he, he's kind of giving me that in the, again, limited time we've seen. I, I get kind of the TJ Warren should get the minutes if he's healthy, which is an asterisk. We don't really know because Brooklyn obviously wasn't playing him a, a whole lot of minutes for, I assume, reasons. Um, but, like, TJ's one where I just think he fits better because you don't have to run plays for him and he'll find ways to score and stuff. And I think he's a good enough defender. That being said, he also, like, will have just, like, I saw a couple blown plays where he's just not in the right spots today Yeah, on defense. So they're just trade-offs with both of them and like they're I felt like they're running more plays for Terrence Ross which I don't really understand like I guess I understand from a schematic standpoint it's like pin downs yes he's good at that why don't you run that for TJ when I I know he's not going to come off and shoot but he's going to come off and try to find a, a hole and get his hip around someone or something maybe so that's where I just I I kind of get not understanding why they're not more even, but they're just, it is, it is a thing I think that Monty needs to feel out and consider more. And I, I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt that he will take the 20, well, is it 19 games now to do that? Yeah. And it it depends on the minutes for the other guys as well, how high they get, how low they get. Everyone was at, uh, it was 15 minutes for Craig Landale, Payne and Lee Warren at 13. And then Wayne Wright at eight. That was with Duran at 27 and 33, for Akogi, Aiton, Paul, and 
Devin Booker. I'm with I you. will say uh, TJ was plus 15, which in 13 minutes is good. I don't even remember. He was the out week. there for a lot of those KD stretches without yeah, that I talked that's about. That's probably yeah. why, yeah. Yeah, I noticed the same thing defensively. I was trying to keep an eye on it. It didn't seem like it was much of an improvement there, which, again, I think a main the main thing with Warren versus Ross is it, it's pretty simple. Ross is the shooter, and Warren, we have no idea, and it doesn't seem like he's a shooter this year. It's a very yeah. low sample size. And it can be that simple, really. Like, Ross and Lee were out there for the offense uh, lineups at the end of the game. Monty was playing, and that's for shooting. Like, if Warren's out there, he's not going to get the ball. So, like, the offense thing doesn't matter. It's spacing, and he can't space right now. At least we don't know he's spaced. I would assume other teams would not treat him as a spacer, and they they would play off of him. Uh, was there anything from Friday or Sunday that kind of stood out to you? I already kind of gave my thoughts on on uh, Sunday. Friday, it was good that they won that game. It took a while without Shea for OKC, but they got there. Yeah, I mean, I guess the Milwaukee game, I don't know. Drew Holiday is really good. Yeah. And, <laughs> yeah. Like, I don't know. That's I, I think that's a good game, though, for them to go through and um, – just have that level of competition regardless of how it shows up at the end at this point, just kind of as a point where you point to and say, okay, we learned something from that. It's time for the update desk of the Western conference. (laughs) We need a bug JB. Uh, The Western conference has been quite newsworthy. This week, Google John Morant right now. I'll leave it at that uh, for Memphis. They're 38 and 23. Uh, they've won three straight. It looks like they're going to they're in a pretty good position to just hold the two seed. Maybe they slip to three, but it seems like falling out of the top three is not something that's going to happen for them. Uh, the Dallas Mavericks, Kevin, they are now one in four with Luka Doncic and Kyrie Irving. Uh, Maxi Cleve is back, though. Someone we've brought up a couple of times lately. But I cannot help but be uh, uh, discouraged. That's the word. Discouraged by Jason Kidd's quote a couple of days ago after one of their losses. He was asked about, I can't remember what he was asked about, but his response was, I'm not the savior here. I'm not playing. I'm just watching. Just like you guys. <laughs> As a team, we've got to mature. We've got to grow up. And a lot of people responded to that like, well, you're the coach and you still have quite a bit Im- big impact on what happens. And it seems like more and more of the quotes coming out of Dallas over the season have been kids bewilderment and how they're not a good defensive team anymore. And I know that's a, a lot of people are saying, well, they made the Kyrie trade before that. They were still pretty, pretty not uh, pretty bad defensively, to be honest. Oh, do you now think- it's just been crazy without those guys. Creating their best defensive and most versatile defensive player might have mattered. I will say, look at their last, let's see, five losses in their last six. They beat the Spurs. That's their only win. And then all of them are two-point loss, three-point loss, nine-point loss to the Nuggets, three-point loss to the T-Wolves, five-point loss to the Kings. So kind of clutch stuff. Kind of. that's, That's worse than just getting blown out almost. It's like you just didn't lock in when it really mattered, but I haven't watched those games to be honest. So on one of our three Kevin Durant episodes that I don't remember a second of, I I do recall saying, making my point about how 
the Kyrie trade was one that Suns fans should should have celebrated because of the chance that it goes nuclear. Something I did not consider is how Jason Kidd's last uh, his head coaching stint so far. He was he was fantastic last year, uh, deserving uh, for getting love for uh, uh, coach of the year. But it did not go end well in Milwaukee. It did not end well in Brooklyn. And now we're putting him and Kyrie together and their core identity as a team, which was playing defense slash let Luca do the thing. Half of that is just gone now. It's gone. So I, yikes, I'm not sure what's going on there. And here's the thing, Kevin, they're two games out from like falling out. I know that we're, we're going to get to the Lakers here in a second. It would require the Blazers, Lakers or Thunder to come up and maybe that's what will save them. But man, like they got to, they got to get going. They got 19 games to figure some stuff out here. Uh, speaking of figuring things out, uh, the Pelicans are 30 and 32, Kevin. What? Yeah. They've, they've lost four straight games. I, I don't know if you saw this. Uh, Larry Nance Jr. reevaluated in two weeks. Jose Alvarado is going to miss at least three weeks. They had those new injuries come up. No Zion still, of course. They're in trouble. Our, our pal, Willie Green, uh, is in a tough spot again. If uh, I'll mention it now since it keeps coming up, uh, LeBron hurt his foot. The Lakers looked great with this fully healthy team. They had a couple of games that looked really encouraging uh, to all the hype that we that I gave them and a lot of other people gave them. But then LeBron tweaks his ankle to some sort, and it's one of those mystery injuries where it seems like he's out at least two to three weeks, and it could be longer, but no one knows for sure how long he's going to miss. They're saying their positioning in the standings could affect when he comes back or not. That doesn't seem like a good idea for a 38-year-old human. That's just me, though. <laughs> Uh, OKC has lost five straight. They're 28 and 34. SGA is in health and safety protocols. Remember those, Kevin? Oh, my goodness. Uh, All of this uh, and one more team that I wanted to mention, or two more teams, sorry. Uh, Carl Anthony Towns is still out for Minnesota. Chris Haynes was, uh, they had a TNT game last night, and Chris Haynes and and the broadcast both kind of brought up like how the fan base is frustrated because there's just no information there. Chris Haynes reported that they're optimistic he will play this season. I was like, I hope so. What? <laughs> you would hope that he would play. They're 32 and 32. They beat the Clippers last night who have not won with Russell Westbrook. Here's a crazy thing, uh, Kevin, on that front, the whole Russell Westbrook front and like uh, how he fits as a player offensively, all that kind of stuff is great. Since the start of January, so we're looking at the turn of the new year, about 25 games for each team. The Clippers are 24th in defense. They've been bad defensively. And the, the the TNT crew was rightfully like, and for me not knowing that, like they were on top of them. Just about Stan, how, yeah, Stan kept saying like, hey, look, they're trying on defense. They should do this more. <laughs> They've lost three in a row. Um, and yeah, losing to that Timberwolves, I, the Timberwolves played well. I shouldn't say that. It was concerning, mostly about how, like people who have watched more than me were just like, "Oh, this is bad." Even though I, I think I'm blinded by how they looked good against the Suns the last time they played. Carry on, anyway. Our last health update: Steph Curry, who has missed the last nine games after suffering partial tears to his superior superior tibiofibular ligaments and interosseous membrane. Ooh, I did it good there. As well as a contusion to his left lower leg on February 4th versus Dallas was recently reevaluated. He is making good progress and recently increased on-court workload to include scrimmaging. 
Uh, Woj was reporting it looks like maybe the end of this week, may, or, or maybe by the end of next week, I think was the reporting that I saw. Uh, his reevaluation day was coming up after the All-Star break, and we got to the All-Star break, and there's more updates there that are not him playing. Warriors are playing good basketball right now, though they've won three straight. They're 32-30, and 30, so they're in fifth, right behind the Suns in fourth. All of this is to say, Kevin, Nuggets keep winning. The Grizzlies should keep win- keep winning. I don't know what this jaw situation is going to develop into, if it's going to develop uh, into anything. Uh, again, just Google it. We won't get into it. <laughs> Sacramento Kings, they keep winning. They've won four in a row. We assume the Suns are going to keep winning with Kevin Durant. And then after that, I don't know. Like The Warriors got to get Steph back at some point. We just mentioned the Clippers. We just mentioned the Mavs, the Timberwolves. Guess what? All this happening, Kevin. The Jazz are hanging around, baby. They're 31 and 32. Everyone thought they were selling off. They might just sneak into the play-in because no one else can figure it out. Uh, the Pelicans, 30 and 32. Lakers, 30 and 33. And then the Blazers, who are still without Anthony Simons, are 29 and 32. We already mentioned the Thunder. It seems like the majority of these teams, Kevin, just don't have their crap together right now, and they have injuries they're working through as well, which all of this is to say, from a Suns angle, Kevin, it is good news for them, right? Yeah, I mean, okay, if we do on the very, like, the the bar to cross is, do you have your crap together? I would say five teams have their crap together in the West. It's about it. Yeah. It's about it. Who's your fifth team? Is it the Jazz? The top no, one? No, I mean, Golden State. Or, okay. Yeah, yeah by default, the top five right now, yeah. That's fair. One more thought before we go. I watched Clippers Timberwolves last year, getting the uh, last night, getting the nineties in the late third quarter, and I did a thing where again looking at uh, defensive ratings since the start of January. The Pelicans are nineteenth. The Jazz are twentieth. The Kings are twenty third. The Clippers are twenty fourth. Oh. The Mavericks are twenty seventh. The Blazers are twenty eighth. The third best team in defensive ratings since then is the Los Angeles Lakers in the West. Grizzlies are third, Suns are fourth, and then the Lakers are 11th. The OKC Thunder are 13th. Warriors are 15th. All this is to say, if the Suns can figure out their crap defensively, they're going to be in a really, really good spot this postseason because Memphis is really the only team that has played consistently great to elite defense pretty much all year. And no other team besides Phoenix and Memphis has played Great defense this year. Minnesota is kind of in the mix. I miss Minnesota there. They're actually the third highest. They're at ninth, but like there's just I don't see it. I, I'd feel I, yeah. I'd feel optimistic, Kevin. Yeah, and especially after watching tonight with the Durant minutes again, I, I'm just going to circle back to close. Here is the offense will figure itself out. I think I think they're going to be very competent at worst in the playoffs. And the longer you get in the playoffs, the offense will get better. There there are reasons to be optimistic. There are no red flags off the bat. And honestly, again, just watching those tall dudes play pick and roll together was encouraging. Two-minute cats talk really quick, Kev. You ready? No. Yeah. I think this team could win the national championship. I think that they could lose to a 16 seed. I have no idea what's going to happen. I've never felt this way before about an Arizona team before, ever. We... We talked about this, and I, I agree. If there's a team that just can stop their bigs, they're in trouble because I think people figured out Ballo. Tubelis, again, forgot how to catch a basketball last postseason. Yay! Um, 
And honestly, it comes down to does Courtney Ramey or Pell Larson determine I sh- I just need to be the guy because like Ben Matherin's Ben Matherin existing bailed them out of one game last year and then it wasn't enough. Um, so that doesn't exist, but maybe they can get an- another game in. But yeah, it's going to be matchup dependent, right? Yeah, double ballo. Hope that Tubella sort of disappears slash gets rattled and you beat this team. That's how I feel about it. Like you said, figuring out ballo, you can just double him in the we take this for granted from DeAndre Ayton to Lincoln the Suns. Ballo can't pass out of a double to save his freaking life, and Ayton does it in his sleep. Uh, yeah. Tubellis is having the wor- his worst stretch of the season right now after I was comparing him to Derek Williams on Twitter six weeks ago. Uh, and then, yeah, I, I just haven't seen enough from Ramey, Creesa, Larson, Henderson. I like Boswell, but th- that's not his role. Uh, I haven't seen enough from them consistently offensively or for the team defensively. It just seems like they haven't built enough chemistry and continuity together, which doesn't make sense. But it they just haven't gelled as well this year for whatever reason. And I would not be I wouldn't if I had to p- say right now, will they make it out of the first weekend? I would say no. I'll say it's a bad sign when the head coach calls out his best player who's going to win Pac-12 player of the year for playing poorly on defense uh, the second last weekend of the year. And number two, I went to Iowa last week and I watched Iowa State. And then for some reason, I watched Iowa State again play West Virginia and their two 17-win teams in the Big 12 who apparently have very great net ratings and they have long teams, but it's the worst basketball you could watch. It's like ASU, but I think even worse, honestly. Um, and I'm going to defend ASU on this point, but any of those big 12 teams or any long athletic team that doesn't know what it's doing on offense can beat this team, which is not good because they're supposed to be good on offense. Yeah, I so Tubelis could be the player of the tournament. Ballo could find a way to be effective through the double teams, and then one of Ray Creesa, Larson, Henderson, one of them could have a breakout tournament. One of them could be two of them could be pretty solid, and then one of them could be more hit or miss, like all four of them have been this year. And then they could beat any team and sweep the whole thing. But I just too many too many ifs. I haven't seen enough of. I'm 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 bummed out about it because I was really excited to watch them again, and they frustrate me. Yeah. right now, like. Yeah, they could they could hit some like really good big East team or something that's just like well coached, not very athletic, and beat the crap out of them, and then lose to the yeah twelve seed who shouldn't be there, but just has a bunch of athletes. Just know if they just get like sixteenth seed of Belmont with five senior starters, I'm I'm recommending my gambling friends to hit that money line. <laughs> just like, <laughs> I'm just like already. Just like giving out that information. All right, we'll be back next week. It's going to be a fun couple of days here. Like I said, the I'm really curious more so to see how they get pushed by good defensive teams here early on. We're talking about the Suns now, of course. Uh, Chicago on Friday, and then, of course, the headlines write themselves on Sunday against Dallas, Kyrie KD, the whole Suns, Mavericks things anyway. And then Kevin Durant's home debut on Wednesday uh, against Oklahoma city and then we'll probably be back uh that thursday or friday before a home game against sacramento that'll be pretty darn fun to go to as well they've just got a pretty fun home slate in general to close the year it's okc sacramento milwaukee orlando philly minnesota denver san antonio denver clippers like uh for those of you that can afford a ticket we're just like, oh yeah good luck <laughs> 
probably the, not the majority of our audience, uh, unfortunately. And I would be in that category with all of you oh, guys. Yeah. I'm not saying that to pal. Like if I had to pay to get in, I would not be able to get in right now. But hey, baby, that's what superstars do, baby. That's what yeah. they do. All right, we'll be back next week, everyone. Thanks so much for listening.